Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hi, my spectacular people. This is Heather Williams, and I'm an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast. This episode is entirely listener-supported. If you would like to join me as an executive producer, check out the Support the Show tab at historygoesbump.com. And thanks for listening. Boo! History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 185th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And we are so glad to have you back again, Denise. Thank you. Have you. A good, <laughs> did you have a good trip out to Ohio? I, I did. And it, the weather was actually pretty nice, which I was relieved. On this episode, we're going to be talking about a place in Kentucky that has been featured on a lot of ghost programs on the television. It reputedly is got the pit that leads to hell down in the basement and has all kinds of haunting activity going on. And that is Bobby Mackey's Music World. We're going to have joining us in just a moment the hosts of the Hillbilly Horror Stories podcast, Jerry and Tracy Polly. They have been to this location and they're going to share a little bit about it with us. So we're looking forward to bringing you that. Before we do that, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Rose. Hey, Rose. Shelly, that ends with an E-Y. Hello, Shelly, ending in E-Y. And Ashley, ending in E-E. And Ashley, with an E-E at the end. All right, well, we are joined by Jerry Polly and his wife, Tracy, and they are hosts of Hillbilly Horror Stories. It's a podcast that is down to earth. And it's another one of those indie podcasts out there that we love to listen to. Just want to welcome you guys. You guys are in Kentucky, is that correct? Absolutely. Lexington, Kentucky, to be a fact. Home of the big blue. Go cats. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the hillbilly. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> well, we like to ask people whenever we talk to them about things with the paranormal. Obviously, you have a podcast that is paranormal themed. So what got you interested in the paranormal to begin with? And I, I know, I think I've heard Jerry say that Tracy kind of got pulled into this. So I'll be interested to hear how that went. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been fascinated from. I mean, I guess an early age, but I grew up in a haunted house. We moved into it when I was 13 years old. My grandfather passed away and that kind of triggered a lot of different things. And from that point on, I guess I learned to deal with it. And then later in life became a fascination. That was my whole story. And, and since then, you know, I used to love, I could look forward to Halloween to where they would put on the true ghost stories or something on TV and never dreamed there would be a time to where you know, you can turn on adventure channels or, or a travel channel and see these shows on a nightly basis. I mean, I'm, I'm like in heaven. Yeah, well, I think what got me interested in is when Jerry started talking about a lot of things, I never really thought about it that much. But once we kind of got into it, I could recall some things back in early years and I thought, oh, well, maybe that's what that was. 
So then that's when I became kind of more interested in it. So so basically you had some of those unexplainable kind of things that you just kind of ignored. But then when you thought about it later, you're like, that was kind of weird. I had some of that stuff, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I just always just thought I was maybe, I don't know, crazy or just making stuff up. I don't know. But some things really did happen. But now that's like I said, that's why I'm all into it, because I don't know, it's almost weird. It's like it's almost kind of bringing things back from the past. Making me think about a lot of things. So that's kind of interesting. People always talk about, well, kids have imaginary friends and kids see this and kids see that. They're just got overactive imaginations. And I'm just a big believer of it's not really the case of that. It's just a case of the kids are more open and they haven't been taught yet that you're not seeing that. And that's not really what you're supposed to see. And and I think that uh, most of the time when kids have imaginary friends, I think it's not imaginary. I think they're just seeing a spirit or coping with something because I've just dealt with too many stories in the last 12, 13, 15 years that tell me that kids do probably see a lot more than we do. We just close our minds to it more. Well, and for us personally, when you you think about ghosts and spirits, we don't really have the answers of what is that. So when you think about all the different parameters that could be going on when you're talking about an imaginary friend, there's a whole list of things it could be, whether it's the spirit of another child, something angelic, maybe something that's more on the demonic level some other kind of interdimensional being that we can't see that is somehow coming through to them. It's just, we don't know. But like you said, the more we hear these stories and people are recalling it as adults and saying, well, I really was interacting with something when I told my mom I had an imaginary friend. It really is starting to cement that thinking, I think, in people's minds that there's more to this than just a kid making somebody up. Well, and it would make sense that a spirit might come to a child because children are less judgmental than adults. Sort of like what Jerry was talking about. They don't have that filter of like, this is not right or whatever. I have a niece and she's, well, I guess she's probably like six now. And she's always been a little different. I mean, she always would stare out in the space and kind of distance herself from her brother and sister. And my mom was always took to her a whole lot because I don't know, I guess they just had some kind of connection, but, um, my mom passed away a couple years ago and Emma would be just sitting looking at the wall or something like that. And her mom would be like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you doing it? Or what are you looking at or whatever? And she said, well, I'm talking to Mama angel. And that's what she called her. And Lindsay, she said, Oh my gosh, it just freaks me out because she does it all the time. So it's like a nonstop. She does it every day. She's always in there having a conversation with somebody. So I thought that was pretty cool myself, but she actually came in and told her mom's husband at the time his grandfather had passed away this wasn't that long ago and it was like 6 30 in the morning and emma had got up and walked into the kitchen and Lindsay was up and she said papa passed away and Lindsay said what she's like papa passed away and uh, she said not even two minutes later she got the phone call saying that he had passed away so but by then that really freaked her out so you know i totally believe in that stuff when the kids can see you know and talk to and stuff so so tell us a little bit about the podcast, like how it got started and what it's about. Well, it, it's funny how it got started. I'm one of these people that I'm a stand-up comedian by trade. And so I'm used to kind of being in front of an audience. I've, I've been on the radio and stuff before, and I kind of like that aspect. I wasn't completely comfortable with it because I hadn't done it enough uh, to feel comfortable with it. But with my fascination with the paranormal, I had listened to some podcasts in the past that were sports related. And it never dawned on me that, you know, I could probably do a search of paranormal and find some stuff out there that I'd be interested in. And when I did that, it just opened up, you know, a whole area for me. And 
I found uh, several shows, uh, your, your guys included, that I really liked. And I just started thinking, I was like, you know, I bet I could do this. You know, I don't know how far I could go. I don't know what, what kind of success we could have, but I think I could do it. And it wouldn't two weeks later. I already had microphones. I had a computer set up and, and I already had a partner, which was Ricky at the time. I had initially thought of Tracy because she's a lot like Lucy on the Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> she's always wanting to be on the show. And uh, <laughs> but I, but I knew she didn't really have that interest at the time of the paranormal. And I and Ricky actually did. Ricky and I knew each other from before, and we used to talk about these stories all the time. And I and I thought, man, if we could just record some of the conversations we had, I think that would really come across well. And that that's really how it all started. And I think you guys know uh, more than anybody. Uh, there's a lot of time restraints when you start doing this if you're going to try to do it right uh, with the study and in the research and to, to try to put something really out there. And with as far as Ricky goes, I think, uh, you know, he's got, you know, a, a full life and a lot of kids and a lot of people depend on him. And I think it was more than he really wanted to get into. So he respectfully kind of bowed out. That gave Tracy a chance to step in. And uh, when she did, it just kind of clicked and, and we changed the show up a little bit. It was, uh, as uh, Diane put to me in a, in a conversation, it was a little crude at first. Yeah. Luckily, though, I had already started seeing that in my own eyes. Being in the entertainment field, I'm very open to constructive criticism. And I had somebody tell me that the language was probably a little too coarse and I would probably limit my audience by that. So I had already started making some changes around episode five or six. We had decided to tone it down even when Ricky was on the show. And, but once we added Tracy, it, it added a whole different dimension. It's a different level of chemistry. And Ricky is the first to be able to say that, hey, he thinks the show's better now with the change. And uh, I agree with him. I like both aspects of the show. I went back and listened to the old shows and I like them. I find them entertaining, but I do find the newer ones more appealing to a mass crowd. Yay me. Go me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, as I told Jerry, I think been exactly what the show needed, Tracy. You've just taken it to a different dimension. And like you said, Jerry, you and Ricky were fine and I had no problem with it. I kind of felt like it was sitting at the bar with a couple of guys. I thought, you know, by bringing Tracy in, you make it. So it's just, I don't know, when you get that that kind of energy there, it just adds a little bit of heart to the stories. Whereas I kind of come at it not with as much heart sometimes. And it's, I like some of the more mysterious aspects of it. And I don't necessarily sit back and go, well, what are the feelings and the emotions behind that? And Denise has definitely helped to bring that to, to our podcast. I know that. Awesome. And thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Jerry will be telling a story and I'm just like looking at him like I'm so into what he's saying. The show initially, and we've we've changed a little bit because I feel like you have to evolve and listen to your listeners. We initially started off the show with Southern stories. Uh, there's enough haunts around, you know, between Louisiana and Kentucky and Florida and, and Alabama to have a podcast that could last, you know, several years. And we wanted to originally do the stories that maybe most of the people outside of the area haven't heard of. And that way, you know, it'd be a lot of new stuff. Yeah, there's the Bobby Mackeys and the Waverly Sanitarium that's right in our backyard. But most people have heard those stories. So we wanted to initially do the stuff that most people hadn't heard. And that's the way we've started out. As time has went and we've listened to uh, our listeners, we've done some of the bigger stories. We've done stuff on the Amityville Horror and, and, and the Bobby Mackeys and, and Waverly. But we like to try to mix some other stuff in. I know uh, we did a show last night on Marie Laveau. Most people have heard of Marie Laveau, but we also did Julia Brown, which is another voodoo priestess that kind of, you know, when she died, a hurricane hit and took a whole town with her, uh, which she had prophesied. And and I think most people probably haven't heard that story. So we get to do a little bit of both now. So I want to I add in the stuff that people hadn't heard and the stuff that you have heard, but we try to put a different twist on it. Now we've got listeners all over the world, and part of that's because of you guys. Yeah, you you, you, you so guys much. were the first show to mention us on the air, and just a little mention that you did 
got us listeners. We had people saying, hey, uh, we heard your, your, your podcast mentioned on History Goes Bump. And uh, we owe a lot to you guys and, sure and, and, and your listeners for, for helping us to get a little bit of a jump in our listenership. And hopefully we've been able to retain most of those listeners. Well, you're welcome. That's the way we lead our lives is that we tell people to pay it, pay forward. it forward. And it was done for us. And so we do it for others as well. Before we get into talking about Bobby Mackey's, this moment in oddity. And this moment in oddity was suggested by Emily Margaret. Stepping switches were used in the early years of telephones to route telephone calls. The Strauger switch was an early stepping switch that was invented by Elman Brown Strauger. The invention was patented in 1891 and was the first commercially successful switch of its time. The first model was made from a round collar box and some straight pins. Strauger was a unique figure in history. From the time he was a child, he liked to tinker with mechanical items. He was a teacher and fought in the Civil War. He ended up in the position of undertaker in Kansas City, Missouri. One may not think that there was much competition when it came to being the town's undertaker, but apparently there was, and Strauger had a hard time getting traction for one simple reason. His competitor's wife was a telephone operator in town, and she would route all the calls for an undertaker to her husband. He decided to use his mechanical skills to invent a system that would get rid of the intermediary telephone operator. The Strauger switch was born, and the patents eventually ended up with the Bell Company in 1916. The fact that a telephone invention was inspired by an undertaker needing to route more business his way certainly is odd. Victoria from victoriaslift.com When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring, it's terrifying. The past remains with us and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. And now for This Month in History. During the month of February, on the 19th day in 1976, President Gerald Ford signed Proclamation 4417 which officially terminated Executive Order 9066 signed by President Franklin Roosevelt. It was that executive order that began the Japanese internment camps during World War II. The proclamation read in part, In this bicentennial year, we are commemorating the anniversary dates of many great events in American history. An honest reckoning, however, must include a recognition of our national mistakes as well as our national achievements. Learning from our mistakes is not pleasant, but as a great philosopher once admonished, we must do so if we want to avoid repeating them. February 19th is the anniversary of a sad day in American history. It was on that date, 1942, in the midst of the response to the hostilities that began on December 7, 1941, that Executive Order 9066 was issued, subsequently enforced by the criminal penalties of a statute enacted March 21, 1942, resulting in the uprooting of loyal Americans. Over 100,000 persons of Japanese ancestry were removed from their homes, detained in special camps, and eventually relocated. 
This not only officially ended the order, it acknowledged a sad day in American history. Bobby Mackey's Music World is Northern Kentucky's longest-running live music nightclub. For nearly 40 years, this honky-tonk has hosted singing, dancing, and drinking. But before the bar was opened up on this spot, a slaughterhouse was run here. A pit in the basement leads to the nearby Licking River, and the blood and other waste from the slaughterhouse was dumped down this pit into the river. The building has been connected to murders, occult rituals, and hauntings for years. Some claim that the pit itself leads straight to hell. Wilder, Kentucky was originally known as Lick Station. It was the first settlement in Campbell County, Kentucky, and the property was owned by Major David Licht, for whom it was originally named. He was given the land for his service during the American Revolutionary War. In the mid-19th century, a railroad station was built in the area, and it was named Wilder Station. It serviced the Louisville, Cincinnati, and Lexington railways. Lick Station was changed to Wilder, and this city is where Bobby Mackey's Music World is located. Robert Randall Mackey was born in March of 1948 in Concord, Kentucky. After high school, he moved further north in Kentucky and took a job with the CNO Railway. From the time he was a young boy, he loved music and singing, and he hoped eventually to become a country performer. He worked for the railway during the week, and he played at local bars on the weekends. In 1977, a couple of fans, Norm and Gene Stamper, suggested that Bobby open his own club across the river. The three looked around and found an own place on Licking Pike that was an industrial area. The building had just been the Hard Rock Cafe, and the three formed a partnership and leased the building. They named the Honky Tonk for Bobby, and Bobby Mackey's Music World was born. We have you on to talk about Bobby Mackey's because this is a location that you've talked about on your podcast and you've been there. How many times have you guys been to this location? Uh, I think we've just been there twice. Jerry, I don't know if you went before. No, we went once. This is funny because it's coming up, but this is how big of a romantic I am. Uh, (laughs) About a couple of years ago, I think it was uh, 2012. That was our my Valentine's gift to Tracy is we did a private two hour tour with Wanda Kay, who uh, is no longer with them now, but she was like, she's won on most of the shows. But we did a two-hour tour with her on Valentine's Day with a snowstorm moving in. We went to the restaurant uh, where Rain Man was shot, made it made a kind of a day of it of going to a couple little famous places. And then uh, we went back just for the entertainment aspect yeah, yeah. back in September for our anniversary, once again, tying in a special event with uh, something on it. <laughs> and uh, but Bobby Mackey's is only open two nights a week. That's Friday and Saturday night. And when they're not open, uh, there is no electricity running. So in, if you're there in February, like we were, it was freezing in there because there was no heat or yeah, anything it was going. So cold. <laughs> I was unaware of that. Oh my gosh, that would be really, really cold because <laughs> Kentucky does get pretty cold. Yes, it does. Yes. Oh yeah, it, it was. was. It was freezing. It was probably in the twenties. We all had our coats on, and uh, there's no lights on because, like I said, there's no electricity. So all we had was our flashlights. Uh, going through the place. So yeah, it was pretty cool though. But that, which leads to after we got there, I don't know, we may, we've been there like 10 minutes or something. As he said, there was no electricity on. We had our flashlights and all of a sudden the jukebox came on for like a split two seconds and then it went off. And I'm like, well, I guess here we go. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, (laughs) was it at least a good song? I don't know. I couldn't. It was too quick to name that tune. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm telling you, it was probably country. So I'm going to say oh, yeah. no. It wasn't a good song. Oh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. 
You know Diane and I met at a country bar, right? No, I didn't know. I'm trying to convert over to country. He just he just don't know good music when he hears it. That's all. I like some country. I just don't like most. I like older country. You take me back to 60s, 70s. That's the kind of country I like. Back to Loretta Lynn and Merle Haggard and George Jones. That's that's more my style. I don't like the new country. Well, for people who don't know, Bobby Mackey's is today what we would probably call a honky tonk. Yep. Like I said, it's only open two nights a week, but man, that place gets packed. It holds about 500 people and you can't move when they're open. Yeah, it's packed. Crazy packed. And they usually have a couple of bands come out and perform and then around 10 o'clock or so, because they open up around 8, around 10 o'clock or so, Bobby Mackey will actually come out and he'll finish the night off. He does uh, a couple of different sets out there and then they'll have some other bands coming afterwards. But because Bobby's, I think he's in his early 70s now. Mm -hmm. So from about 10 to 12 is about all he's really comfortable doing these days. Sure. With Bobby Mackey's, can you describe like the exterior and the interior, what it looks like when you go in? Yeah, it's actually the exterior. It's just kind of an old wooden building. It looks like uh, typically an, an old style house. It doesn't have that brick look of a lot of um, brick and mortar look of a lot of these these clubs that you would go into these days. It's definitely got that 60s, 50s, 60s feel. And at one time in the 1950s, because Bobby bought the place back in 1978, so he's had it since then. Uh, before that, it was actually a biker bar, uh, which was called um, Hard Rock Cafe, but it's not associated with the the big Hard Rock Cafe. And they shut it down because there were some shootings and stuff out there. But right before that, it was owned by the mobsters. The Cleveland Four owned it. And they had turned it into a, a kind of a Hispanic hacienda type looking place. So it's got all this beautiful golden decorated panels for ceilings all the way through the place. And Bobby kept all that stuff in there. So it's kind of a rundown kind of place. And he would be the first to admit that it needs a lot of upgrades. But he started to do some upgrades in the 80s. And uh, there was a little earthquake and there were some other problems that happened. So he just said he took that as the spirits probably didn't want him renovating. So he's kind of left it. So it's got you, you can see some exposed wiring. You can see copper pipes. Everything in it is kind of original from back in the day. It's all built on a limestone area, which could explain a lot of the, the hauntings with all the iron pipes and the, mm -hmm. and the limestone and the exposed wiring. There's there's a lot of that there. So it is really like you would expect a, a building from the 50s to look like. Yeah, as you were saying there, Jerry, with the history, long before people were two-stepping on the wood dance floor and before the Latin Quarter Casino was open, Bobby Mackey's went through a series of incarnations. In the late 19th century, it was opened as a slaughterhouse. And as we'd said, the blood and other waste were dumped down one of three pits that led to the Licking Rivers. This was long before Polluting Rivers was outlawed. The slaughterhouse was eventually torn down. Apparently, there were some tunnels beneath the slaughterhouse that made it a perfect spot to set up shop during Prohibition. It was a speakeasy called the Bluegrass Inn for several years. And when selling liquor became legal in 1933, the building became a casino. The first casino was called Primrose Club, and then it became the Latin Quarter Casino. The casino was very successful in the 1950s, but the owners were arrested many times on gambling charges. The authorities went so far as to break into the club in 1955 with sledgehammers, and they confiscated the slot machines. Yeah, we don't have a warrant to come in. We're just going to break through with our sledgehammers, I guess. Save some time, at least. It was during this time that one of the club owner's daughters met a terrible fate. She had fallen in love with one of the singers. And we're going to let Jerry tell you this story. 
There's a story of the young lady, Johanna, that supposedly was killed there on the premises in the 50s. The the quick story on that, obviously, was she worked at the club. The, her father was the owner, was supposedly also a Satanist, but he was a mob a runner, and he owned the club. She was a dancer at the club. She met a guy, got pregnant. He had the guy executed, and then she killed the father and poisoned herself there in, in her dressing room. And she was five months pregnant. And when Bobby Mackey first bought the place, his wife uh, would come there and she actually was attacked by a ladder in the mm-hmm. basement, and she was pregnant and was pushed down the steps. steps yeah. She had a baby the very next day, premature. She was five months pregnant. So the three ladies that are all tied mm-hmm. to this case all had something happen to them when they were five months pregnant. Yeah, and Bobby's wife never came back. She never stepped foot back in that place after that. Ever. Yeah, unfortunately, she passed away in 2009. It ties all three stories together was the five months pregnant. Wow. Yeah, not only just the pregnant, which is already kind of unique and odd, but all of them being five months pregnant, too. And they do advise anybody if they take the tour there, not to, if you're pregnant, not to take the tour. They do. Wow. A poem still exists written on a wall that is attributed to Joanna. It reads, My love is deep as the sea that flows forever. You ask me where it will end, I tell you never. My love is as bright as the sun that shines forever. You ask me when it will end, I tell you never. The world may disappear like a castle of sand, but I'll be waiting here with my heart in my hand. My love, I love you so much, now and forever. You ask me when it will end, I tell you never. Bad luck seemed to permeate the building after that time. The Hard Rock Cafe opened in the 1970s, but it was closed in 1978 because of a bunch of fatal shootings that they'd had on the property. I guess that'd be a good reason to shut it down. And reports of hauntings have been a part of its history for a long time. When Bobby and the Stampers set up the bar, they had no idea of its haunted reputation. Carl Lawson was the first caretaker, and he began reporting weird occurrences, doors locked and unlocked on their own, and lights turned off and on without assistance. I had seen, there's this guy named Dr. Peter... Moscow, and he's president of the United States Psychotronic Association. And he had said in this book that Douglas Hensley had written, it's called Hell's Gate. Mm-hmm. And he had said, in 20 years of psychic investigations into ghosts, haunting poltergeists, and demonic like possessions, I've never encountered a more malevolent or destructive case than that which I experienced at Bobby Mackey's Music World in Wilder, Kentucky. And wow. so I know this place has a reputation of being, we like to joke on our show that this place claims to be the most haunted bar or the most haunted school or the most haunted lighthouse or whatever, or the most haunted place in all the world. This place almost seems to fit it. And I know because you've been in there and touring it, obviously you had at least the jukebox turning on. Did you get this feeling, a malevolent type of spirit there? During the tour was a total different feel than we were there just for the uh, when they were open during the bar. You got really no feelings at all like that because I guess there was so much happiness going in. During the tour, we got to go down to the basement where the well is. There was a group of four. It was uh, another couple of young ladies and, and me and Tracy. And as we were standing there listening to Wanda tell us about the well, there was something behind us. And this is a typical old style basement with with walls crumbling, that type of stuff, rubble on the floor. It's not a cleaned up type basement like most people would think. It's definitely something like you would see from years and years ago. And we heard something behind us, almost like if somebody had pitched a rock into it, you could hear it smack and kind of bounce around. You know, it could have been anything, could have been a rat or anything like that, but it definitely got everybody's attention. And it, it made you definitely feel eerie. I don't know if I really felt like there was anything evil or, or anything going on, but... You felt a little uneasy, like you weren't alone. 
And if I had known that that's what you thought that was, was a rat, it'd been over. <laughs> now there, I think I could have stood a ghost more than I could a rat. <laughs> I hate those things. You don't like rats? <laughs> rats are sweet. Denise, this is oh. not a pet rat she's talking about. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was probably a possessed rat on top of it Trust with me, red eyes a- when i'd seen bobby Mackey's on ghost adventures i know that zach and the boys have made this place sound like it is just insane and i don't know i always wonder when they go to places if it's not the fact that they've stirred stuff up that wasn't already there so hearing you say that makes me think that maybe whatever energy is there kind of feeds off whatever's coming through they give us flashlights when you first get there and they give you a brand new pack of batteries that you open up and put in there. You know, they're LED flashlights, the small ones. So they like a mag light. They should hold a battery for a very long time. And they give you a couple of packs of batteries because the batteries run down before you can even get halfway through with the tour. So an hour of not even using it full time, your batteries are completely drained. So I thought that's one of the most interesting things about the place that show that there's got to be some kind of energy there. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Something is drawing off those because batteries definitely, they should at least last for the entire tour. Right. And usually they last for a month or more, <laughs> depending upon how much you're using the, the flashlight. I know that you had Wanda giving the tours. Did she share like stories that she's had happened to her personally there when she was given the tour? Yeah, she actually has told plenty of stories. Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't remember a lot of them. She told us stories about a little boy and a little girl that were back from the meatpacking days that you never really see this story listed anywhere. But she said that they would kind of be back where they where when you walk into Bobby Mackey's, it's like a long hallway. And that's where you pay your fee to get in and then come in. And there's another little area that goes long ways off to the side. And there's some tables sitting there and it just kind of leads you to where the rest of the place is. But on the other side of that, is the dance floor. And it's, it's a huge area. Like I said, it seats probably 300 people in there. And right in that area is where she said they would see them. There's a, there's a door back there by where the DJ booth is. And she said that these little kids would just show up on a regular basis. And one time she felt like she took one of them home with her. And that was the thing that scared her the most, uh, getting home and, and having things happen that she was convinced was something that followed her. And that was the only time she ever had anything follow her. And that was one of the things that made her second guess what she was even doing and whether she needed to keep doing it. I don't blame her. When you start having stuff that's following you home. Yeah, that would be that'd be enough for me. I've had some things follow me home from a bar that I wish hadn't, so I know where she's coming from. <laughs> We're talking about ghosts, Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> when you go to the bottom of Bobby Mackey's down in the basement, there's a wall that they call the wall of faces. They say there's a lot of that reoccurring energy down there that you can see these things, same things. Occasionally, occasionally you can just walk in and see a scene happening over and over and over again. That's so sad. Yeah, a lot of that stuff, I wonder if it's not some kind of a time stamp, something going on there that it's just like a, a ripple in time. And so the person that's playing over and over again, it's not actually them. It's just this scene that keeps playing itself out. Because, yeah, I would hate to think that to me would be hell if it's like, OK, well, for the rest of your afterlife, you're going to have to repeat the last five minutes over and over and over again. It's a lot like marriage. <laughs> OK, you're in big trouble, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is pretty sad, though. I couldn't even imagine having to endure that, even though you're not alive, but still. The place in general, this just a site because, you know, it was the meatpacking house. So, I mean, if you're into the whole animal slaughter thing. Uh, As far as what kind of effects that could have. I mean, you had all that time there and then you have the prohibition era where the mobs pretty much took over the place and turned it into a gambling casino uh, and was, you know, sneaking uh, liquor in and out through the well. 
there was several people killed on that property. That's documented. And most of them were probably thrown right in the Licking River right behind it. And then you've got other situations of former owners committing suicide of the place. There's just been a lot of tragedy on that site. So whether the Pearl Bryan case actually comes into play, you know, there's a lot of heartbreak that's happened on that site. But isn't Bobby Mackey said himself that he's not giving in to that stuff? Or Well, Bobby, I think, is a, a fibber. Because no. Bobby says he doesn't believe in any of that stuff. He doesn't believe. In, but anybody who works at that place will tell you that he will not be in there by himself. And he hasn't been in the basement in 25 years. So oh, gosh. He might be fibbing just a tad bit. Oh. <laughs> well, and he definitely embraces it. He has no problem with people thinking it's haunted. And it even has a sign or something out front that lets people know it's a haunted establishment, right? Yep. yep. It says enter at your own risk, basically. Well, if you think of all the scientific elements that are in play here, you've got, like you said, it's built on limestone. You've got this river that's basically running underneath it. And before the EPA obviously came in and told them, you can't just dump all this junk into the river out here. And one of the things that we talk about is, you know, the life is in the blood. That's why vampires have such a mystique to us. And we've even talked about on one of our shows when we were talking about ghosts in the Bible, the story with Cain and Abel, the reason that God knew, obviously he knows everything, but the main reason he said he knew that Abel had been killed is his blood was crying out from the land. And so it just Mm. makes you think when you have all of this blood, when you're talking about a slaughterhouse involved, where is that blood going and what does that feed into? And it's a lot of stuff going on there. So I could see why there would be this kind of energy building up. And then the more you bring in paranormal investigators... I think it helps to kind of feed into that and rile stuff up. And you never know what's attached to people, too. Like you said, that Wanda took something home with her. Sometimes I wonder if some of these paranormal investigators coming in are bringing things that are attached with them. Yeah, I bet. Jerry, do you know anything about Pearl Bryan and her haunting Bobby Mackey's? Actually, I do. Pearl obviously was a 22-year-old woman. She had a cousin, second cousin named Will Wood that she worked with. And through him, she met a guy named Scott Jackson, who was uh, going to dental school up in Cincinnati. They came down, struck up a relationship. He went back to dental school, and then uh, she informed uh, Will Wood, her cousin, that she was pregnant. He told Scott, and Scott tried to fix the pregnancy, so to speak, by sending her some drugs through the mail. That didn't work, so he wanted her to come up to Cincinnati to talk about you know, what they could do uh, as far as terminating the pregnancy. She went up there, and him and her, his friend Alonzo Walling kind of uh, hooked up. And apparently, there was a big argument that some people saw out on the street in front of a club uh, the next night. They decided to fix her a drink that had arsenic and cocaine in it with the intention of kind of knocking her out. And when this happened, they went across the bridge into Kentucky, about two miles from Bobby Mackey's, and they actually slit her throat. Apparently, she put up a struggle because she had cuts on her hand, a bunch of torn clothing all around the area. But they decapitated her, left the body. A 16-year-old found the body, and then uh, they never found the head. They captured both of these guys, Alonzo Walling and, and Scott Jackson, and they put them on trial. Once they put them on trial, they neither one would confess. They both said the other one did it. They also said that they didn't know where the head was. They had nothing to do with it. The rumor was that they took the head, took it to Bobby Mackey's, which at the time was a, a, a slaughterhouse. And it had a well at the bottom of the basement where all the blood from the slaughters would run down the well and out to the Licking River, which is right behind it. That's so disgusting. And uh, the story was that they were both occultists. It was more of a sacrifice to Satan putting her head down the well. That's never really been confirmed, but that's how the comparison actually goes. Some people say Pearl actually is seen there. Some people say that Scott Jackson's seen there because when they were convicted and hung, which that was actually Alonzo Whalen and Scott Jackson were the last two people publicly hung in Newport, which is uh, uh, right there in that county. They were the last two, and they tore down the gallows after that. But at the time of the hanging, 
Scott Jackson said that, that he was innocent and God would see and that he would haunt that town forever. So a lot of people say that you see his ghost in Bobby Mackey still today. Whenever I hear stories like that, I always think, I'm not afraid of ghosts. It's humans that I'm more afraid of. Exactly. Right. I feel the same about that. But the funny thing is, and this is what I like to talk about, this is the difference between our show and I think in some of the other shows. That's mostly all you will hear about Pearl Bryant. But I can tell you that a lot of people, when you do the research on it, there's really nothing to tie Pearl to Bobby Mackey's other than the rumor that her head was taken there and put down a well, but that's never been confirmed. They Mm -hmm. actually did find a head in that field sometime later. They couldn't confirm that it was hers, but I mean, how many heads are just going to be laying in a field where there was a decapitated body time before that? It makes sense that that was probably hers. The Scott Jackson and Alonzo Walling deal, who knows how much any of that, you know, it's obvious they did it and they did something with the head. But Scott said that uh, Alonzo took the head and cut it up and threw it in the river. And Alonzo said that he didn't know what Scott did with the head. He thought he either threw it in the river or he incinerated it uh, at the medical school, uh, the local medical school. So nobody really knows what happened to the head. So the only thing really tying that to the Bobby Mackey's area is the one story saying that they sacrificed it into the, the well. You know how they actually found out who what her identity was, don't you? No. They She had a shoe on. Uh, one of her shoes had a serial number that they were able to track back to her hometown in Indiana as, as her behind the shoe. And that's how they were actually able to identify that it was Pearl Bryant. That is so amazing. That is amazing. She's buried up in up in her hometown in Indiana. At, I want to say it's Greenville. It's Green something. I can't remember exactly what it is. Her tombstone has been vandalized so many times. It's mm. just basically a concrete slab there. But people still go to this day and they put uh, Lincoln Penny's heads up, mm. hoping it will give her some kind of sense of peace and death. I hate it when I hear that people have desecrated somebody's grave and chopped it up and torn it up like that. It's like, come on, please leave them alone. I just don't get the fascination with people doing that stuff. Some scientific investigators believe that the weird feelings people get at Bobby Mackey's has something to do with the electrical wiring and infrasound, which is low-frequency signals. But could there be something supernatural going on here? There is a history of blood from not only the slaughtered animals, but people who have been murdered or committed suicide on the property. And possibly, paranormal investigators have awakened something. Are there ghosts at Bobby Mackey's? Is Bobby Mackey's music world haunted? That is for you to decide. Another one of those places to put on our list, Denise, and I don't know, we could go two-step in there. Apparently, it doesn't seem to bother people because, as Jerry said, the place packs out. So people must not feel very uncomfortable when they're just hanging out and dancing. Yeah, and I like to two-step. It's been a while. That is true. Well, we want to thank you guys so much for joining us. And I encourage everybody to check out your guys' show. It has a lot of great locations and topics and legends that you've been branching into. I wanted to also say as well as saying thanks to you. Thanks to your listeners for for giving us a try. Thank you guys so much. All right. Well, you guys have a great rest of your Sunday. And uh, I'm sure we'll end up talking to you in the future then. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Bye-bye. On our next episode, we're going to be continuing, I guess, with the country theme. And we're going to be talking about a country star. And that is Mm. Patsy Cline. Love Patsy Cline. Same here. So we're going to talk about the life and afterlife of Patsy Cline. And we're going to be joined by author Matt Swain. He has written several books about haunted rock and roll, haunted country, And so we're going to get into talking about a little of the parameters between hauntings and music, and then specifically get into the life of Patsy Cline 
And she haunts quite a few different locations. And it's no wonder she had a pretty tragic life and she died tragically very young. But she had a huge impact on the music industry in her short life. Yes, she did. And I was just thinking with our guest that he's done haunted rock and roll and haunted country. So maybe he will be the one to find our ghost in parachute pants. Yeah, I actually heard him on Beyond the Darkness radio last week, I believe it was. And he did say that Prince is apparently already been hunting Paisley Park. So hmm. I know that uh, Dave Schrader was talking about having an opportunity to go in there. And I think they just get to tour it just as a general tour. But he's going to take an audio recorder in with him and see if he catches anything. But he had heard some rumors that Prince is still hanging around. So we, we've got to have that parachute pant ghost out there somewhere. Yes, they are. So everybody be looking for them or her and let us know when they're found. All right. We'd love to have you check out our website at historyghostbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we do have people send us feedback in a lot of different ways. We got a comment over in the Spooktacular crew. And this was from Julia Miller. I'm listening to the bonus cast three. I didn't really know there was a name for what I believe in. Followers of Jesus is the perfect way to describe how I feel. I was nodding my head a lot when the ladies were talking about how Christianity is these days and the alternative. Thanks, ladies. And then over on Instagram, we heard from Christy and she said, Hi there, ladies. I want to start off by saying I'm a huge fan of the show. I also wanted to push along some information about a series of hauntings that are very near and dear to my heart. Mackinac Island in Michigan is one of my family's favorite vacation spots, and there's so much history on the island, and much of it is preserved to this day. There's no vehicles on the island, only horses and bikes. But to get to the point, a large majority of the island is haunted, and it's only eight miles all the way around it. So that is jam-packed with spooks, she was saying. And I know that I love Mackinac Island because one of the movies that is near and dear to my heart is Somewhere in Time. That's the location where it was filmed, a lot of it. And so I've always just loved that island, never been there. So we're going to have Christy join us in the future, and we're going to talk about that. And great news. We have a couple more ambassadors that have joined our ranks. And so we do have Salem, Massachusetts now. That ambassador is Amanda Prouty. So welcome aboard, Amanda. I'm very excited to have you on the team. We're in Florida, but we're in Central Florida, and Key West is quite a ways away. And so we had Marianne Barcombe offered to become our ambassador for Key West. So we have an ambassador down in the Keys now. So if you need travel to paradise, there's somebody to contact. Also, shout out to Susie Doobie and her husband. They came into town, and I got a chance to meet up with them this weekend and have dinner with them. And she brought me four books, Denise, one of which is in the series that I like to collect about Newport. Very cool. And sorry, I didn't get to meet you guys. Hopefully next time that you're down here, I'll get to say hello. Yeah, we had a lot of fun hanging out. We went to a Disney restaurant and we didn't just talk about ghosts. So it was a lot of fun. And then we have this review in iTunes. This is from Jenny Riv. Outstanding. Five stars. Mind boggled that some may rate this less than five stars. Anywho, ladies, you are doing such an outstanding job. I love your podcast. I'm on the 61st episode and I just can't unplug. LOL. Also love the fact that you two beautiful ladies are part of the LGBTQ community. My wife and I can't stop listening. Thank you for the time you girls take on your podcast. You don't have to change anything. Just keep the bumps coming. I'm on the 61st episode, so I have a lot of catching up to do, but uber excited. More episodes are being added. Thank you again. 
Jenny, a.k.a. Jello Rivera on Instagram. LOL. Sorry, I don't have Facebook, but if I did, I would surely be a part of the Spooktacular crew. Well, thank you for that review, Jenny. We greatly appreciate it. And I know from watching her stuff over on Instagram that she is a member of our U.S. Army. And so thank you so much for your service to our country. We appreciate that. We want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Carly Vondrak, Dina from the Twisted Philly podcast, and Karen Miller. Thanks. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.